open the sacred scriptures tonight to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew 14, where we will read the first 21 verses. And the text for this evening's sermon will be verse 14. Matthew chapter 14, this is the inspired and therefore infallible word of God. At that time Herod the Tetrarch heard of the fame of Jesus and said unto his servants, This is John the Baptist, he is risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. For Herod had laid hold on John and bound him and put him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife. For John said unto him, It is not lawful for thee to have her. And when he would have put him to death, he feared the multitude, because they counted him as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday was kept, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod, whereupon he promised with an oath to give her whatsoever she would ask. And she, being before instructed of her mother, said, Give me here John Baptist's head in a charger. And the king was sorry, nevertheless for the oath's sake, and them which sat with him at meat, he commanded to be given her. And he sent and beheaded John in the prison. And his head was brought in a charger and given to the damsel, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took up the body and buried it, and went and told Jesus. When Jesus heard of it, he departed thence by ship into a desert place apart. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude, and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. When it was evening, his disciples came to him, saying, This is a desert place, and the time is now past. Send the multitude away, that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals. But Jesus said unto them, They need not depart. Give ye them to eat. And they say unto him, We have here but five loaves and two fishes. He said, Bring them hither to me. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass and took the five loaves and the two fishes and looking up to heaven, he blessed and brake and gave the loaves to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. And they did all eat and were filled. And they took up of the fragments that remained twelve baskets full. And they that had eaten were about five thousand men beside women and children. We end our scripture reading at that point. The text for this evening's sermon is verse 14. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them and he healed their sick.
purpose of tonight's sermon is to address our spiritual sickness and disease. That is, tonight's sermon is for all those whose hearts are infected with sin and who daily feel the effects of that spiritual sickness in their lives. But more specifically, tonight's sermon is for those who know that they have this spiritual sickness, and to put it plainly, are sick and tired of being sick. Tonight's sermon is for those who groan on account of the presence of sin in their hearts and lives, who long to be delivered from their sin. Tonight's sermon is for sinners who know their sin. Is that you? If so, there's hope. And that's really the main application of tonight's sermon. The message of hope. For in tonight's sermon, we are directed to the one that the scriptures reveal as the great physician of the soul. And we see his compassion upon those who are spiritually diseased. Last week, we saw the compassion of our Savior for us with respect to our trials and the afflictions that we face. And now this week, we again look at the compassion of our Savior, Jesus Christ, but now with respect to that Infection of sin within our hearts. We are encouraged to bring our sin, to bring our sickness, our disease to the feet of our Savior Jesus Christ. Because He's the only one who can heal us. He is both willing and able to restore us to spiritual health. For He is our compassionate physician. And that's the truth we want to focus on tonight, using that as our theme, our compassionate physician. First, looking at his heart. Second, the healing. And then third, our hope. Our compassionate physician, his heart, the healing, and our hope. What makes this passage of Scripture so tremendously beautiful is that it gives us a glimpse into the very heart of Jesus Christ. It does that when it says what it does. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion. Literally, His bowels moved within Himself. He had pity upon this people. He felt for them. He was sympathetic to them. We would say His heart ached within himself. And indeed, we're being given a glimpse into the very heart of Jesus Christ. And now more specifically, his heart toward those in misery. Because that's really the whole idea of compassion. Compassion, by definition, is sympathy for those in suffering. It's 
pity upon those who are troubled or afflicted in some way. And specifically, the objects of Christ's compassion here, those who are in misery here, are those who were sick. That's what characterized this multitude, this crowd that came to him. That's evident from how the verse ends. We read of a great multitude coming and Christ being moved with compassion toward them. And then it adds, he healed their sick, indicating that a great number of these people were in fact sick. That comes out more strongly from the parallel account, John's account in John 6 verse 2, and a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. Many in this crowd, this multitude, came to Christ that day because they had heard about his ability to heal the sick. And so now there's this great crowd of sick and diseased people in front of Christ. Now this is not the first time in Jesus' ministry that he has had such a crowd gather in his presence. For example, we read of this same thing earlier in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 4 verses 32 and following. Matthew 4, verses 23 and following, rather. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments, and those which were possessed with devils, and those which were lunatic, and those that had the palsy, and he healed them. This has happened before in Jesus' ministry, and now it happens again. There's this great crowd that's gathered together. And within this crowd, there are many who are suffering from leprosy, for example. Or perhaps it's that they are lame on account of some paralysis. Perhaps some had fever. Still others were possessed by a devil. There were the blind who could not see. The deaf who could not hear. And the dumb who could not speak. And what's so beautiful here. Is Christ's response. To this crowd. He's moved with compassion. Which is to say his response was not. That he cringed on account of what he saw. He was not disgusted. He does not turn up his nose at them. Nor does he plug his nose on account of the the stench. He does not try to run away from them. Because he's afraid that he himself is going to contract some of these diseases. Nor does he send this crowd away. But instead when he, he sees this crowd. When he sees the the grotesque sights, when he hears the horrific sounds, when he smells the, the putrid smells, he's moved with compassion. He takes pity upon them. He he feels for them. His heart goes out toward this crowd. In his compassion, rather than sending them away, he receives them. And as we'll 
come to see in the second point. He does something to help them. He's going to heal these sick and diseased. But before we get to the healing that he performs, we want to linger on his heart, his compassion for them, and see the the tremendous beauty, the tremendous wonder of his response toward this crowd. And what makes it so beautiful is that this is the very last thing you would expect from anyone else under these circumstances. Because Christ and his disciples were both grieving and exhausted. And that comes out when we survey the context prior to this account. When we look at the context, it becomes very clear that Jesus and his disciples were trying to get away for a sort of private retreat for just themselves. We see that here in verse 13. When Jesus heard of it, he departed thence by ship into a desert place apart. That is, apart from the crowds, apart from the multitudes. He's trying to get away. And that's even more evident from Mark's account, where we read in Mark 6, verse 32, and they departed into a desert ship, into a desert place by ship privately. They wanted to be alone. They wanted some time for themselves. They were trying to get into a, a desert place so that they could be alone. They wanted this for two different reasons. On the one hand, because Jesus and his disciples were grieving. Grieving on account of the death of John the Baptist. That's the context here in Matthew chapter 14. Because verse 13 that we just read says, and when Jesus heard of it. And we ask, well, what did Jesus just hear of? The death of John the Baptist. Verse 10, and he, Herod, sent and beheaded John in prison. And then verse 12 says, and his disciples, that is John's disciples, came and took up the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. He's just learned of the death of John the Baptist. And do not think that this had no effect on him. For we're talking about our Savior who wept outside of the tomb of Lazarus. Surely he wept when he heard of the death of his blood relative, the forerunner who had prepared the way for him, and most importantly, his own blood-bought sheep. This was a time of grief. And what is more, it was a time in which Jesus and, his, Jesus and his disciples were weary. They were exhausted. And we say that from the context that we learn about in Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, we read from it a moment ago. But now we back up further. Mark 6 verse 30. We read this. And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told them all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. This is the disciples coming back from being sent out to preach. And verse 31, Jesus said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. 
for there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. And then we read verse 32, and they departed into a ship, or departed into a desert place by ship privately. Jesus and his disciples are exhausted. They're weary. They've been so busy that at times they did not even have the opportunity to take a break to eat a meal. And thus we come to understand that this, this trip is meant to be a sort of vacation. This was to be a sort of minister's retreat so that Jesus and his disciples could rest and be refreshed. That's not what happened. Because the moment they get off the ship, they're greeted by these crowds. Matthew chapter 14, verse 13. And when Jesus heard of it, he departed thence by ship into a desert place apart. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude. The moment he steps off this ship, he's confronted by a great crowd. And understand... They were not there to minister unto Jesus and his disciples in their need, but they came to be ministered unto. This is a needy bunch. And it's when we have all this in mind, when we have the context in front of us, we're almost half expecting that Jesus' response is going to be something like when he went to the temple and saw the people buying and selling. You're half expecting him to, to gather get together a, a cord of whip or a, a cords to make a whip to drive them away. Depart from us. Leave us alone. Can you not just let us rest for a while? But that's not what happens. For the scriptures do not say that when he saw a great multitude, he was moved with anger and sent them away. But instead, the scriptures say he was moved with compassion. Congregation, is there anything more beautiful than that? Do you see the heart of your Savior? He took pity upon this crowd. His response was the last thing you would expect from anyone else. And it's this compassion that is the encouragement for us to go to Him with our spiritual sickness, with our spiritual disease. That's how we need to apply this passage. When we come to a passage such as this, the application for us is not regarding our physical ailments. Now, we do indeed have physical sickness, physical disease. We live in this fallen world, subject to death, and all the, all the different things that would cause death. So that it is often our lot in light that we endure injuries. We have sickness come upon us. And for some of us, those are, are chronic or even life-threatening. And 
when we experience such physical sickness and disease, you may be sure that your Savior's heart is filled with compassion. That part of the text does apply. Child of God, He knows how hard it is. He understands the effects of your sickness that you endure on a day-to-day basis. And he's sympathetic. His heart goes out to you. He will uphold you and strengthen you. But that said, this is not a guarantee that he's going to give physical deliverance. And that's where we are saying that's not the application of this text. There are many who want to make it that. There are many who come to a passage like Matthew chapter 14 and say, if only you believe in Jesus Christ, then he'll heal you. He'll make you all better. That's the message of the so-called health and wealth prosperity gospel. Believe in Jesus Christ. He'll give you health. He'll give you wealth. He'll make your life easy. That's not the message of Scripture. Nowhere does Scripture guarantee for us that if we believe in Jesus Christ, He's going to get rid of all of our physical ailments and our physical diseases. And so when we come to a passage like this, the primary application is not regarding our physical sickness, but instead it's concerning our spiritual sickness and disease. Because when we survey Scripture, becomes evident that Scripture itself would have us to understand these different diseases, these different ailments that we find in Scripture as representative of sin, as teaching us about sin itself. That's evident, for example, from the Old Testament and those Levitical laws concerning clean versus unclean. One way you could be unclean was on account of leprosy. And what's noteworthy is that the primary remedy was to bring a sacrifice indicating that this leprosy is pointing us to a spiritual reality, namely sin. This is also evident from the language that we find throughout the Psalms, language of disease and sickness and petitions that God would grant healing, for example, but with reference to our spiritual sickness. For example, in Psalm 41, verse 4, the psalmist prays, I said, Lord, be merciful unto me. Heal my soul. Why? For I have sinned against thee. Still clear would be the healing miracle that takes place in Matthew chapter 9. There, Jesus heals the man who's carried by his friends into Jesus' presence. They lower him down to Jesus. And what does Jesus say to the man first and foremost? Thy sins are forgiven. He does not start with arise, take up in bed your bed and walk, but he starts with the fundamental reality, the deliverance from sin, and then afterwards he heals him physically as a picture of what he had already done for that man spiritually. And these are just different lines of evidence that show us 
that in Scripture, the various sicknesses and diseases that we read about are, serve as pictures of sin and really teach us about sin. And that's true, not just in a, a general way, but it's true concerning each individual ailment. Every single one of them has something unique to teach us about sin. So that, for example, blindness points to our inability by nature to see the truth concerning God, concerning ourselves, and thus the truth concerning Jesus Christ. There's leprosy. That disgusting, loathsome disease which points to the fact that sin makes us spiritually dirty. It isolates us. It brings death. There's paralysis. And all those who are lame pointing to our inability to walk in the paths of righteousness. To do anything good apart from God's grace. There's those who are afflicted with a fever. Pointing to those burning desires. Those passions. Those lusts that we that swell up within our hearts. And we could give many different examples. Really, we could have a whole series of sermons going through the different diseases on the pages of Scripture to show what each one teaches us about the character, the nature of sin. But we need not go through all of them tonight. Instead, what we need to see tonight is that I'm the one who's spiritually sick and diseased. So that when we come to this passage, we need to identify with the crowd. Say, that was me. I was the one spiritually blind, unable to see the truth. I was a spiritual paralytic, unable to walk in the paths of righteousness. I was a spiritual leper, dirty, defiled on account of my sin and go through all of the others. And in many ways, this is still true because I still have that old man of sin. This is not just a, a thing of the past, but I still have that corrupt, that defiled nature within me. I'm still spiritually sick and diseased. Here's the good news. We have a compassionate physician whose heart is no less compassionate to us in our spiritual sickness as it was to those who interrupted his retreat that day. For Jesus Christ is the same yesterday. Today and forever. So that though he no longer walks upon the face of this earth, but now sits upon his throne in heaven as the great Lord of heaven and earth, that does not mean that his heart has changed. It's still full of compassion for the sick and for the needy. Which is to say, it's still full of compassion for sinners like you and I. And what a remarkable truth this is. 
in light of the one that we're talking about. Because even for us, those who are sinners, those who do live in this fallen world, when we see that which is defiled or disgusting, whether physically or spiritually, our default response is to cringe, to to, to draw back, to want to turn away from it. And thus you would expect that the same would apply to the sinless one. That this Son of God, this one who is perfectly holy and spotlessly righteous, for him to see a bunch of sinners drawing near unto him, you're expecting his response to be that he cringes, that he he turns away, that he sends us away. But that's not his response. He's moved with compassion. His heart goes out to us in our spiritual infirmities. He takes pity upon us. He receives us. No matter what's going on, He's never too busy. He never says, come back at a different time. And all of this then is the encouragement we need to go to this physician. To go to Him, not just on account of His heart toward us, but trusting that there is indeed healing to be found in Him. Even as there was healing that He brought to those who came to Him that day. He healed them. That's the end of the verse. He was moved with compassion toward them and He healed their sick. He cured their diseases. He restored them to health. And what we see in this is the great power of this physician. You see, it's never the case for Jesus Christ that He wants to help somebody, but He lacks the power, the ability to do something about it. That's sometimes true for us. By God's grace, when we see others suffering, our hearts are often moved for them. There's a desire, there's a longing to help to lift them up out of their misery. Though that's true, we often lack the ability to do so. We lack the means, we lack the power to actually help that person that we feel sorry for. But that's never the case for Jesus Christ. It's never the case that he, he looks upon someone with compassion and, and he, he wants to do something, but he, but he really can't help that person. And that's never the case because this is the Son of God we're talking about. This is the second person of the Trinity. The Almighty One. The One who has omnipotence. As one of His attributes. There's nothing too hard for the Lord. So that what we see in this physician. Is this beautiful combination of both. Pity. And power. His compassion always leads to action. 
He's both willing to heal and he is able to heal. Willing on account of his compassion, able on account of his power. I can assure you, there is no disease too difficult for this physician. And if you do not believe me, then we need merely to survey the broader context in the book of Matthew and to go back to all the different miracles that he has already performed at, to this point in the book, especially in Matthew chapter 8 and 9. Matthew 8 and 9 is in many ways a long list of miracles that Jesus Christ performed, miracles of healing. And it begins with Matthew chapter 8. Verse 2, we read of a leper coming to him. In verse 3, we read this, Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Next, there's a man who had palsy. Verse 6, a centurion comes and speaks of his servant who had palsy. He asked Jesus to come and heal. And then in verse 13, we read this, And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. Next, there's a woman sick with a fever. Verse 14, Jesus goes into Peter's home. His wife's mother-in-law is laid sick with a fever. In verse 15, he touched her hand and the fever left her and she arose and ministered unto them. In verses 28 and following, we have Jesus Healing two men who were possessed with devils. In chapter 9, verse 2, there's another man sick with palsy. He's unable to walk. Jesus heals him too. Chapter 9, verse 18, he raises a young woman from the dead. While he spake these things unto them, behold, there came a certain ruler and worshipped him, saying, My daughter is even now dead, but come and lay thy hand upon her, and she shall live. And we have the, the actual miracle that takes place later on. And in between that, he's, he heals a woman who had a, an issue of blood for many years. Verse 20, And behold, a woman which was diseased with an issue of blood twelve years came behind him and touched the hem of his garment. Verse 22, But Jesus him about and when he saw her he said daughter be of good comfort thy faith hath made thee whole verse 27 we read of two blind men who followed him crying out thou son of David have mercy upon us and then verse 29 he touched their eyes saying according to your faith be it unto you and their eyes were opened chapter 9 verse 32 there's a dumb man who's possessed with a devil verse 33 says and when the devil was cast out. The dumb spake and the multitude marveled saying it was never so seen in Israel. And you start to go through these chapters and they, they start to feel redundant. It, it, it almost gets boring. It's just one miracle after another miracle and then, then another miracle. Until we stop to ask the question what is the Spirit trying to tell us in these two chapters? And when we ask that question, we come to see that the Spirit is shouting to us. There is nothing 
too hard for the Lord. There is no sickness, no disease that he is unable to cure. Which makes him different from every other physician. Even today with all the the advances in modern medicine. There are still cases. Where someone goes to a hospital with some condition and they're. They have no idea what's going on. We've never seen this before. We, we don't know how to even diagnose this. And in still other cases, they can diagnose it, but they have to say, there's nothing we can do about it. It's, it's too far gone. The, the infection has spread too far. The cancer has progressed to a point that we cannot help you anymore. But that never happens with our Savior. He never encounters some spiritual sickness and says, I don't really know what to do here. I've never encountered this. Nor does he ever say to us, this is, this is too far gone. If you'd come to me earlier, I could have helped you then, but, but not now. And that never happens exactly because of his great power. He's not just willing on account of his compassion, but he's able on account of his might. Child of God, all this applies to my sickness and to yours. He is willing and able to heal. That is to deliver us from sin and all of the consequences of sin. He's able to give us spiritual health. And to be sure, he does not give this health to everyone. Jesus Christ does not save every single individual from his or her sin. promise of scripture is that he will heal all those who come to him in true faith. That is, he will heal all those who come to see there is no other cure. There is no other remedy. There is no other hope other than this physician. And thus who by faith come and cast themselves at the feet of this Savior. When by faith we come to him, he will surely heal us because he's that compassionate physician. He's not like the medical doctor who does his work begrudgingly. He would rather out be, be out having fun with his hobbies, but he knows he has to earn a living, so he, he checks into work to earn a paycheck. But instead, our Savior is the one who delights in this work. This is why he came down from glory into this world. To heal such sinners as you and me. And now perhaps the most beautiful part of all. 
is how He heals us. There's really two aspects to it. First, He heals us on the one hand by taking our spiritual sickness and disease upon Himself. That is, this physician does what no doubt every parent here has wished he or she could do when they see their child laid low on account of some physical sickness. What parent here has not wished, I wish I could just take away that sickness by taking that sickness upon myself? Well, that's exactly what Christ does. For Jesus Christ is our sin bearer. That's what's taught for us in all of those Old Testament sacrifices in which the priest or someone would lay their hand upon the head of the animal about to be sacrificed. It points to the transfer, the imputation of sin from the sinner to one that is innocent. Jesus Christ is that innocent one who took upon himself our sins. But now we need to think about this, not just in a general way regarding sin, but specifically in light of the language of this sermon. So that we must understand Christ took upon Himself our spiritual sickness and disease. He took upon Himself our leprosy. He took upon Himself that fever. Our paralysis. And every other spiritual sickness there is. Then having taken it all upon Himself, He endured exactly what you would expect to happen to someone with so much sickness. He died. Is that not the end of sickness and disease? Still today, in spite of all the advances of modern medicine, there are certain sicknesses, there are certain diseases, certain injuries that end in death. And that's always the case with that spiritual sickness that is sin. And so it was the case for Jesus Christ. He died. He died spiritually. For he was forsaken of God the Father. He endured the agonies, the torments of hell itself. As he hung there upon the cross of Calvary. And then he also died physically. When he laid down his life and endured that painful rending of body and soul. And then he experienced death in all of its fullness because he allowed his blessed body to be laid in the grave. He endured the fullness of death because he had taken upon himself our spiritual sickness. But having thus died, he's delivered us. He's taken away that death that we deserve so that for us there is no more spiritual death. There's no hell awaiting the child of God. And even our physical death has been radically changed 
So that rather than being the punishment for our sin, it's now the very passageway whereby we are brought to heaven. Christ has delivered us from the death that we deserve by taking our sickness upon himself. But that's just half of it. Because he not only took upon himself our spiritual sickness and disease, what is more, on the other hand, he also gives to us his own health and life. Because this physician is not content merely to deliver us from the sickness. There's a positive aspect to his healing work. He gives to us health, life, immortality, soundness, wholeness. And he gives us that by giving us his own life. And he's able to do that because he is the resurrection and the life. He is the source. He is the fountain of all health and life. And he gives that to us. So that we who were dead, and remember that was our condition, not just sick, not just struggling a little bit, dead in trespasses and sins. And now we've been given life. There's a wholeness, a soundness that's been imparted to us through the work of the Spirit of Christ. That's how Christ heals us. And it's knowing that there is healing to be found in Him. That is the occasion for us to have hope tonight. Child of God, what sickness, what disease did you carry with you tonight into the sanctuary? What way has sin infected your heart? Is it leprosy? Have you committed some sin and now you feel dirty on account of it? Well, this physician is able and willing to cleanse you, to wash you, to make you pure. Are you spiritually lame? Do you find it a tremendous struggle to walk in those paths of righteousness that God has laid out for us? Well, this is the physician who restores our spiritual legs and then says to us with an authoritative command, Arise, take up your bed, and walk. Is it a spiritual fever? Some lust of the flesh, that burning desire that you cannot put away. This physician is able and willing to heal, to dispel the fever, to check your sinful passions, and to satisfy the longings of your heart and soul like no idol can. Has the devil gotten a hold of you? Not in the sense that you're demon-possessed, but in the sense that you're ensnared in some sin. 
This position is the one who drives away the devil. Who sets up his own reign, his own rule in our hearts so that we call him our Lord. Have you been spiritually wounded? Is there a hole in your heart tonight, child of God? This position is the only one who can fill it. Whatever your sickness, whatever your disease may be, there's healing to be found in Christ. And it is Christ himself who heals us. Which again makes him distinct from every other earthly physician. With an earthly physician, it's It's the surgery that he performs upon you. Or it's the medicine that he prescribes for you. The physician does not give himself to you. But our spiritual physician does. He gives himself to us. He is the cure. He is the remedy. And there is nothing too hard for him. Perhaps you're worried that your own spiritual sickness might be too much. Perhaps there's been an an objection in your heart all night. This all sounds wonderful. But pastor, you have no idea how sinful my heart is. You have no idea how entrenched this or that sin is in my life. If I heard this sermon years ago, before it had become so bad, well then, maybe then there would have been help for me. But you have no idea how long this sin has been there. It's been there for years. It's, It's been there as long as I can remember. It's too far progressed. It's too far advanced. Child of God, do not doubt His power. Because the reality is it does not not matter how long that sin has been there. He is still able to heal. And again, is that not the message of the Gospels? How many times do we read in the Gospels about somebody coming to Jesus and Scripture specifically tells us this person had been sick for 12 years or for 38 years or since the day they were born. And yet Christ heals. Now to be realistic, the message of tonight's sermon is not that Christ will bring healing in such a way that you will never again struggle. It's not the case that we walked in tonight Spiritually lame, he restores our health and then we never need him again. And my legs are fit and ready the rest of my life. That is my spiritual legs. And it does not work that way. Because otherwise we would never go back to him. If he healed us in such a way that I never needed him again. How quickly would I forget all about him? 
But our Savior does not want that, but instead He wants us to keep on coming to Him again and again, day by day, moment by moment, looking to Him by faith. It's by faith in Jesus Christ that there is healing. And child of God, all this means there's hope. Yes, if you continue to try to get rid of it in your own strength. That sickness, that disease is going to stay there. But in Christ, there's healing to be found, so believe in Him. Trust Him. As the compassionate physician who is both willing and able to heal. There's hope not just for us. Not just for me. There's hope for others. There's hope. For that family member who is ensnared in some sin. You've brought the word of God to them. You've admonished them. But it seems that word has fallen on deaf ears thus far. Christ is able to heal him or her. There's hope for the loved one who's left the church, who's turned their back upon Christianity entirely, or if he or she does still profess to be a Christian, their life and their outward life life indicates the opposite. Christ is able to heal. There's hope for your neighbor, your coworker, who's never believed in Jesus Christ. Christ opened your spiritually blind eyes. He's able to open theirs. For the elders and your labors with those who are ensnared in some sin. Keep bringing the word. Christ is able to heal. There's hope, congregation. And may that hope lead us to do two things. One, keep telling others about this physician. That too is what we see in the gospel accounts. How many times did Jesus heal someone And then immediately after performing that miracle of healing, he told him or her, now make sure you do not tell anyone else about this. But then we read that they went forth and broadcast the news. And the point is they could not contain themselves. They could not keep it in. They had to tell others about the miracle that Jesus Christ had performed for them. And may the same be true of us with, our, with respect to our loved ones who are ensnared in some sin, with respect to our neighbors, our co-workers who are still in sin and unbelief. Let it be true of us that we cannot contain ourselves. Let me tell you about my physician. Not my earthly doctor, but my spiritual physician. 
who's healed my soul. For God will use that for His own to bring about their spiritual healing. One, let us continue to tell others about our physician. Two, let us pray. Pray that our Savior would do for others what He has already done for us and bring healing to their spiritually diseased soul. For He is the compassionate physician who is able and willing to heal. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we rejoice knowing the good news of the gospel and the revelation of the great physician who heals all of our sicknesses. And we pray that he would continue that saving work by delivering us more and more from the power of sin in our lives. Hear this prayer for Christ's sake. Amen.